0: Well, good morning. Thanks, I love the way that song, well, it was intentional, I've got to tell you the truth. Faded out, you wear the victor's crown. It's a great song, by the way. Um, if you want to find it on YouTube or somewhere, listen to it. The whole song is just incredible. You know, it's really funny because I told you in January, we're really not doing a series. We're kind of doing a... Uh, I'm going to be running more than this. I need a little more space. There we go. We're not really doing a series, but then I was amazed to find out that these, these three messages uh, leading up to, to January 24th when Tim's going to be with us, these three messages tie together in a really big way. And in fact, I took the giant scale back to my office, um, in fact, and had to bring it back this morning because, again, it was just very appropriate that we take a look at this again this morning. So last week, if you remember right, we wanted the important step, we took the important step of making sure we begin 2016 knowing that we know Jesus Christ as Savior. It was bold. It was in your face. It made you stop and look. I hope you really uh, you know, spent some time this week saying, God, you know, Paul said, let a man examine himself that he is of the faith. And so I hope that caused that to happen in, in, in your life and it certainly did in my life. And uh, that's really what probably led me to the cross was that I took a hard look at my life uh, through a testimony of a deacon and it made me realize... Finally that I was lost I was dependent on me And not God To get me to heaven So then today We want to look at um, Really what do you do With failures in life And that's Boy we got You know David said, now, you've got a lot of time this morning. You don't have to use all of it. Um, I might need all of it. I might need all of it. I don't know. Um, but anyway, if, for us to look at um, our lives and our failures, but really, once again, looking at this and looking at that, because as we begin this journey, I still think a lot of Christians in America particularly struggle with the concept and idea that, that we can't do it, we couldn't get saved, and we can't even maintain our salvation, um, we can't obey uh, the, the, the word of God on our own because you know, Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. So, so we really need him. We needed a savior in a date in our history, but that didn't stop. We need a Savior day by day by day, and ultimately we'll spend eternity uh, with this Savior in a place called heaven. So we're going to look today at Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to violate the rules again on a couple levels, and, and we're going to come in in the middle of a verse, in the middle of a sentence. It just made good sense to do that. Um, also, I'm going to do something this morning that I don't ordinarily do, and I'll stop and pause and just give you some opinion of mine. Um, You know, it's really important. The Word of God is always very important, but it's also important what translation we use and all of that. And and there are two that really are not translations that particularly come to my mind. There are two that aren't translations. They're called paraphrases, and they're great for casual reading. But basically a paraphrase is where a person reads the Bible and says, basically, this is what I think it says to me. Okay? And one's the message, and that's fine for casual reading. That's an awesome thing to read. If you want to read it through this year, that's fine. Um, the other is the Living Bible. And of course, the Living Bible has been out forever. But again, that's a paraphrase of, uh, I think it's John Peterson. And, and again, it's not a direct translation. From the Word of God, so so that's great for reading. If you've got one this morning, that's fine. But really, if you're going to study the Word of God, you need to make sure you have a translation. And that's as far as I'm going to go today with that, because there's different ideas. I think it's the New American Standard It's one of the most literal word-for-word translations there is. Holman's got their opinion, which I use a lot of. ESVs. In fact, it's it's kind of funny because ESV is a first cousin of the King James. Um, and and if, you, if you read the New King James and you read the ESV, you'll see they're very, very, very similar, very close together. So that's really between up to you and, and God and all that. And every, you know, it's all the Word of God is what I'm trying to say. Particularly, let's go for the translation idea. It's all the Word of God particularly. And so you really want to get a good translation that you can use. Now, I said all that to say this. Today, I'm using the New Living Translation. It is a translation from the Greek, uh, but it is one of the easier ones to read. And I don't normally use it for a sermon, but in this particular case, I just thought it really laid out there what God wanted us to have today. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, we're just going to take a look at the Word of God. Let's read through it, and then we'll start teaching. Here's what i like to read to you. Philippians 3, 3a, and we're going to come in the middle of verse number 3. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value. Remember those two words. The infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past And looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let's pray together. God, thank you so very much for your incredible word. Father, thank you for leading Paul, directing Paul, speaking through Paul for these wonderful truths that will now speak into our lives Here in 2016. Father, I thank you that you want to guide and direct us not only through this year, but through the rest of our lives. Father, we don't often understand things like weather and why it occurs when it does, but I am certain that you have assembled the people that you want here today and the ones who now are listening on the radio. So we ask simply, Father, that you have your way. Thank you for my brother David singing both those songs that I am saved today and how we celebrate that. But that wonderful song called Your Presence where, Holy Spirit, we invite you to fill the atmosphere. We invite you to take this place and to own it. We understand that that the power is not in a man's voice at all, that, Holy Spirit, it is you or it doesn't happen. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to hearts. Help every person to understand that you have something for them today, that they are not here by accident. They're not even in here today out of habit or rote. They are here by your divine appointment. So speak to our hearts today. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen and amen. So yesterday, I had some time on my hands, and I was going to do something that, re, that I actually could do two things at one time. Now, if you know me, I am a single tasker. Ask Judy, she'll tell you. It's very difficult for me to breathe and walk at the same time. But I was going to, well, I might as tell you what I was going to do. I was going to iron some clothes. It's not a common thing, so don't think I'm super husband, I'm not. I just had time. So I was going to iron clothes, and I said, Well, you know while I'm standing here doing this. I think I can at least listen and halfway watch a movie. And I chose, I went through, and I'd recently recorded the movie True Grit. Now, not the more recent version of True Grit. The original 1965 True Grit. And it's got John Wayne, Glenn Campbell, Robert Duvall, uh, Somebody else, I don't remember who it was. But anyway, you know, all, all these great actors. And so I started watching this show, and, and how many of y'all remember the original True Grit? Oh, yeah, okay, cool, okay. Now, if you don't, you, you probably ought to watch it, because it really is considered a classic. But here's my first question this morning that has nothing to do with the, movie, uh, with the, uh, with the sermon. Why is it a classic? The acting was horrible. I mean, it was bad. I mean, Glenn Campbell couldn't act if you paid him in that movie. I mean, and then some of us, like, they they made these statements, and and you're going, and so... So anyway, so I'm not sure why it's a classic, but it was. But it was good John Wayne. And, of course, that always makes it worthwhile. And the two things I want to draw, one I'll share now and one I'm going to share later, was this. You know, the basic story is this. A man, a guy gets killed, and his, you know, he's a daddy, and his daughter is tough and, you know, tough as nails. And decides that she's going to bring the killer to justice. And she travels to, to where the area is where the guy was supposed to where her dad got killed. And, and so uh, she goes around going, I, I you know, who, who's man to look for this killer. Now, I'm looking for a man with true grit. And that's where the title of the movie comes through. Looking for someone with pure determination. And, and that person was John Wayne, who was Rooster Cogburn. One-eyed Rooster Cogburn, okay? Now, Rooster had some real um, ethical and moral problems, okay? So don't take this parallel too far. But he was a man of sheer determination. And I want to tell you about another man today who also had some moral and ethical problems before he met Jesus Christ, but he was a man of true grit. And that man was Saul or Paul, as we know him, okay? He was a man so determined, um, really determined before he met Jesus in a wrong way and sheer determination after he met Jesus in the right way. A man of true grit. Now, for those of you, there might be someone here who says, well, who is Saul? You know, why did he change his name from Saul to Paul? Who is this guy? You know, basically, he was a very, very religious man who lived around the time of Jesus. And uh, he, when Jesus came along and shook up the world with the gospel of grace, you know, as a Pharisee and as several things we're going to talk about today, he got fired up. And he thought it was his job to kill Christians. He thought it was his job to stop Christianity cold in his tracks. And so he was going to a place called Damascus and on that road, you know, he met the resurrected Christ, the Jesus that had already resurrected. And man, he met Jesus in a big way and God radically changed his life. And he went from true grit, you know, persecuting the church to true grit being used by God to advance the church. It really is an incredible story in the life of Saul who later became Paul. So so now we have this man named Paul writing to us today and speaking right at us great truths that we need to hear. Let's go ahead and take a plunge into Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 3, the, the first part. Here's what it says. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Now, let's pause just a moment because that's hugely important. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Just a reminder because I think it's hugely important. Now, there is how many, how many religions in the world teach a non-works salvation? That would be one. That would be one. Every religion in the world, I don't care what title, what founder, what country, what language, every other religion in the world chooses to do a scale or a work salvation that somehow we can persuade god to let us into heaven by putting works or whatever on a scale and if the scale tips in the right way then god's going to show favor on us and we get to go to heaven every other religion and you know, i was talking about this i was thinking about this today brent i'm going how incredible is it that of all the whole world there's only grace in one place and that's jesus christ Only one. Everything else is works, 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 works. So remember that as Paul says, we rely on Christ Jesus. Not keeping the law, not being good, not going to church, not being baptized. None of those things. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We believe in a done religion and not a do religion. We believe in a done religion. That is what Jesus Christ has finished and did on the cross, not what we have to do that involves a giant scale. He says this. He says, we put no confidence in human effort. That's really important because I'm telling you, it's almost like, it's almost like a, a tunnel that Satan will dig under us to undermine our foundation because we have a real tendency to add human effort to our religion. Even though we say we believe in Jesus, even though we say we believe in grace, even though we believe we're saved by grace, we have a real tendency to add performance to our relationship with God. And believe me, you can't add any of this to that. You can't add any of this to that. And Paul says, he makes it so clear, again, this is such a good translation of the way he states this. We put no confidence in human effort. There's a verse in Proverbs chapter 25 verse 19. Let me read it to you. Here's what, here's what Solomon said. Confidence in an unfaithful man. Now let's pause there. Unfaithful is one who is faithless. And let, let the man be a works, or a works salvation, a scale salvation. So, so, so he says confidence in an unfaithful man or a works salvation in time of trouble when you need it the most is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. This is like a bad tooth. Have you ever been eaten and your tooth broke? Yeah, and I mean it breaks down to where the nerves are. Hello, you aren't eating any more steak. You're done. Have you ever had a time when your ankle gave way and broke? How much confidence do you have in that foot when it's broke? None. You know why people use crutches? You know why they use canes? Because they can't depend on the hurt leg. All right. So Solomon says, confidence in this unfaithfulness, this faithless salvation, is like a broken tooth or a man. With a foot out of joint. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We put no confidence in human effort. Verse number 4. Though I could... Now, if possible, you're going to see this. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, others have reason. if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have more. Paul said, now, now I could have confidence in a scale. If it were possible, if it were possible to have confidence in the giant scale, it would be me. You know, others say they have confidence, I would have more. Now, now, before you kind of want to shoot Paul, he's being sarcastic, okay? He's being facetious. He, he's, he's really making a point all he's doing. He, he's not saying he believes in the giant scale, okay? But he's saying, you know, if it were possible, boy, I would, I would tilt it the right way. Of course, it's not possible. But he's saying, I would tilt it in the right way. And then he begins to demonstrate the things that he could put on the scale that would tilt the scale in the right way. He starts out by saying this. When I was eight days old, I was circumcised. Now, understand that circumcision is a mark of being part of the covenant under the old covenant. If you were an Israelite, you were were circumcised. When you became a Jew, you were circumcised. Paul is making a very good point here. He said, I am not a proselyte. I didn't get circumcised when I was 15. You know, Ishmaelites would, would circumcise somebody when they were, were 13 years old. I wasn't circumcised when I was 13. I, I didn't come into this religion, okay, when I was 35. I was, I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm not a proselyte. I was a Jew from the get-go. He goes on and says this, I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. That simply means this. His mama and his daddy were Jewish. Because, you know, like we know about a guy named Timothy. If you're a Bible scholar, you know a bit about Timothy. Timothy had a great daddy and a Jewish mama. Paul says, I'm better than that. I have a mama and a daddy who are both Jewish. Um, he goes, and I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was one of the smallest tribes, but it had two things that were pretty significant. One is the first king, (laughs) who didn't turn out so well, by the way, but the first king of Israel, Saul, was from the tribe of Benjamin. That's exactly right. And and then, later on, when David was was under attack by Absalom and the various rebellions, Benjamin was one of the tribes that stayed true to David. So there was a certain good stigma about being a Benjamite. It was a good thing to be from. They weren't perfect, but there were some things about it. Even though they weren't the largest tribe, you know, there's good things about being from the tribe of Benjamin. He goes on and says, A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I, well, I was a member of the Pharisees, or literally translates, I was a member of the separated ones, who demand the strictest obedience, and I think this is interesting, to the Jewish law. Not just the law of God, the Jewish law. Because you know, the Pharisees were so in love with laws... They came up with 600. They really liked the law. okay? So they came up with 600 laws for them to obey. And he was a member of this very strict sect. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. In other words, now get this. I was so passionate, I was willing to kill for my religion. In fact, he's had people sentenced to death. In fact, the first martyr in the Bible is a guy named Stephen in the New Testament. And Saul was there and held the coat of the people who stoned him to death, approving of Stephen's death. Now, that's pretty passionate. And then he goes, he goes and as for righteousness, I obey the law without fault. So, so you can see pretty easily that from the Jewish perspective, okay, from the Jewish perspective, if anyone could tilt the scale in his favor, it would be a guy named Saul or Paul. That's who it would be. Now, I know you probably can't grasp all that from a Jewish perspective, so I wrote the Dwayne Taylor translation of those verses. It goes something like this. I was enrolled in the nursery when I was just eight days old. I was born and raised in America, a patriot through and through, and a member of the right party, a real Christian if there ever was one. I am so bad this. That I am a Chickatarian. You know there's vegetarians? Chickatarians the one who only eats fried chicken. <laughs> I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a Chickatarian only eating fried chicken. And only use the blank translation of the Bible. Now I left that blank on purpose because it depends on what sect you're in. You know, if you're more traditional, you might be, you know, one said, Well, I used only the King James. If you're a reformist person in a new theology embracement, you might say the English Standard Version. If you're more open-minded, you might say, Well, I use the NIV or or perhaps one of the paraphrases we talked about. I only use that translation of the Bible. I was so jealous, or zealous, I'm sorry, I was so zealous that I judged anyone who is not as spiritual as me. And as for righteousness, well, I couldn't even spell sin. <laughs> I, I, I hope you're laughing. You did. I appreciate that. But, but it really was, it makes a point though because again, all of us have these things we grab onto and if we're not careful, it undermines our belief in grace. It starts adding to this and somehow the, the idea of earning God's favor or keeping God's favor depends on this giant scale and not on God's amazing grace. So so he goes on now. It says in verse number seven, I once thought. Say, I once thought. Okay, so what he's about to say, it was there was a time, but it's not now. Now this is important. There was a time, but not now. Okay? I once thought these things were valuable. What's these things? I was circumcised the eighth day. I was a Pharisee. My mom and dad were both Jewish. I was a member of the strictest sect. Um, you know, I, I was, I was zealous for the church, even persecuting the church. All those things, he said, there's a time I thought they were really valuable to me. Okay. And, and listen, there may have been a time when you would think other things were valuable to you. Again, I was not saved till I was 21. And, boy, my church attendance and my singing and all those things were just, like, big to me. And I would put them on my scale and say, look, God, see? See, God? They were once valuable to me. But now, but now, he says, now that he's met Jesus, I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. See, the word consider there, you may have reckoned. it's an accounting term. He said, I've done the math and all these things that I would put on the scale, and you've, you've got your things, you've got your things, okay? All these things you put on your scale, how good I am and how moral I am and all these things, these things, he said, I've reckoned them and I've compared them. And guess what? Compared to what Christ has done, compared to the cross, these are worthless. Now, you've got to grasp that because these things will sneak into your thinking, into your theology, And when this starts happening, it is B-A-D bad. There was a time maybe, maybe as an immature Christian, as a new Christian, you may have thought, well, yeah, I'm saved by grace, but I've got to earn God's favor. There needs to come a time when you understand that you are made right and you have God's favor because of His grace, not because of your performance. And listen, this thing's the Titanic. And we've got to turn it around. We have got to become more and more and more a people of grace. We are saved by faith and not our performance. It's huge because it it consumes a huge chunk of the New Testament. Verse number 8. Yes, everything else. Everything else. How much? Everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So all the things that you want to put on the plate and say, this impresses God, you know, impresses God that I give 20% of my income, it impresses God that I come to church three times a week, it impresses God that I'm a Baptist, it impresses God that I teach Sunday school, it impresses God that I'm involved in the ministry, it impresses God that I go to Africa or I go to Nicaragua or I go to Haiti or I go to Canada, it impresses God, it impresses God, it impresses God. We've got to reach a point, everything else is worthless when compared To the infinite value of knowing Christ. I love those words, infinite value. As you know, the word infinite means without limit. You can't put a value on Christ. Someone say amen. You can't put a value on knowing Christ. Think about that. What would you trade for your relationship with Jesus? If if he said, if he said, I will now... You know, I think, I think yes, the lottery thing didn't happen, and now it's worth like a billion dollars. So if, if someone walked up and said, I will guarantee you to win the lottery, a billion dollars. And it's going to be more next week. So we'll just go next week, whatever it turns out to be. You know, if I were to give you that, if you'll deny and reject Christ, would it be worth it? You know, it well, it might seem that way, Until you get the phone call, it might seem in this limited thinking that it might be worth it until the doctor calls and says, you have terminal cancer. This happens too often. You have terminal cancer and you got two months to live. How valuable now is that billion dollars? How how valuable is, is when the phone call comes in the middle of the night and your child, the one that you love and you've raised is in jail for underage drinking and drug abuse. How valuable is that billion dollars now? Let's go one horrible step. They were DUIing, and they're dead. That child that you loved is gone. Or or you go through another valley, and, and you can't stop the valley because it wasn't your making. It wasn't your making, but your valley. And you... Have to walk it by yourself because you've traded the billion for Christ. See, Christ is infinitely valuable, not religion. It scares me to death that we associate so closely religion and church with Jesus, and they are not the same. When I get the call with cancer, religion doesn't do a thing for me, but Jesus does. When that phone call comes in the middle of the night, my child is gone, taken from me so quickly and so suddenly, religion doesn't do a whole lot for me. But Christ does. So, so Paul says, all these things are worthless. You've got to believe that. Believe the man who suffered and, and ultimately died for Christ. Who, who was on this side of the fence and experienced all that he had. He had power. He had wealth. He had authority. He said that was junk. When you compare it to the value of knowing Christ. Man, a long time ago now. It amazes me how the time, you know, gets away from us. But back when Dr. Yule had a little office on a side road, not the nice clinic now. In fact, he was in private practice. He owned his own gig. And um, on his walls, I I, I drag this out every once in a while for you guys. On his walls was this. What money can buy? Money will buy a bed, but not sleep. Books, but not brains. Food, but not an appetite. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusement, but not happiness. A crucifix, but not a savior. And a church pew, but not heaven. Isn't that good? So, so Paul says, all those things that, that we have a tendency to, to place strict value on, okay, we have that. And, we, and, and again, it equates to this. Earning God's favor, look God. Or, or perhaps the pleasures of the world. He says they're worthless when you compare it to knowing Christ. He says, in continue continuing verse number 8, for His sake, because of Christ. Because of Christ, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, garbage, so I could gain Christ. See, Paul understood something we can't grasp, and that's this. And if This is a time, you know, now that you're 62. You notice I don't run around as much as I used to. There's a reason for that, Brent. It's called 62, 62 and 20 pounds, okay? Um, but anyway, you know, you know, here's the deal. There's a, there was a time, there was a, a place um, when, when you would you would be willing to give everything away to get christ, and if we 're not careful, then we want to put everything back into our hands here 's what Paul came to realize you can 't say you can 't you can 't embrace Christ with your arms full of the world you can't you can 't embrace Christ with your arms full of the world. Now, I'm just telling you this. Amazingly, when you empty yourself... um, Let's read it again. Uh, For his sake, I have discarded, discarded, discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so I could gain Christ. it's amazing, but when we are willing to drop all this stuff and embrace Christ, he really does get everything in order. When you make Jesus Christ a priority... Your career, your marriage, your family, your parenting skills, all these things, your peace, your ability to sleep, even perhaps your health gets better. But you've got to be willing to turn loose. You've got to be willing to let go. Remember the old movie Aladdin, and again, small crowd, so maybe some of them remember Aladdin, the movie, and she's about to fall. He reaches his hand down and says, trust me. Until we're willing to let go of all of the things where we might find security or favor until we're willing to let all this go, we can't embrace Christ and here's the deal how many anybody here hoarders? well, don't raise your hand, but you know you got you got a basement or a garage or a storage shed full of stuff you know when, that, when it's like that he doesn't say. It doesn't say take all that stuff that you, you know, eight days and all that and put it in your storage unit. You know, I promise you this. I've got too much stuff, but I don't have too much garbage. I have on my calendar Tuesday night because the garbage man comes at 6 o'clock Wednesday morning. And especially on a, can I have a witness here, on a hot August day when we got a lot of good old food in that, that trash can, and it's sitting by your back door, you don't want it to wait another week. Time I make it a priority to get the garbage to the garbage man. Paul says, let's make it a priority. Let's get the garbage to the garbage man. Let's don't file it away somewhere. Let's don't keep it. Let's make sure we understand that God's amazing grace saves us and keeps us and will hold us for all eternity. And let's let go of the garbage. Let's let go of our stinking religion. Let's let go of the things that we say, God, look what I've got. Let it go. Because if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, you don't, you're going to have a tendency to pick it up. You're going to have a tendency to pick it up. Oh, no, I'm fixing to be real transparent. More than once, I've got something out of the garbage to eat before. You were involved with one of them. Tracy. It's when I was trying to be, like, healthy, you know, and, like, I was kind of, like, hungry, and someone said, well, they got pretzels out there. Well, I got there, and you chucked them. It was was time. It was an all-star. I said, where are they? In the trash. They're laying on top. (laughs) I'm still alive, (laughs) (laughs) Tracy. Judy, there's been times you've been gone and I'll look in the top of the trash and I'll say, There's that donut I was looking for. Hey, that's no listen, that's no worse than our keeping our old religion around and munching on, is it? Is it? See, we all y'all grossed out about that thought. But when we want to add our religion to our, to our grace, that's okay. No, it's, a, it's a vomit to God's nostrils, I'll guarantee you. It is. And it'll be to us, too. It'll be to us, too. I'll explain that later, Judy. Tracy, you already understand. I'll explain that to you later. Make a great article someday, I'm sure. Verse 9b, the second part of verse 9. I no longer... See, somebody's going to hear on the red and go, Oh, man, I wish I was there. The preacher's eating garbage. How incredible is that? I no longer... Now, listen to this. Listen, this is so clear and powerful. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Paul said, "I, I got it. I don't depend on keeping the law for my own righteousness. Rather, I become righteous... How? Through faith in Christ. Through faith, How are we made righteous? Not by this. How do we stay righteous? Not by this. We are made righteous and we maintain our standing with Christ through faith. Through what Christ did, not what we've got to do. Now, come on, that's good. That's good. He says, I love this. It says, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Faith in what he did... Not what we got to do. Faith in what he did and not what we have got to do. Listen to these verses. They're just powerful. Romans 3.21. But now, Paul says, apart from the law, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed. Attested by the law and prophets. In other words, attesting to what has happened. That is, God's righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus. To all who believe, white man, black man, green man, yellow man, brown man, rich man, poor man. To all who believe, since there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Jesus, Him, as a propitiation, as a, a appeasement through faith in His blood to demonstrate His righteousness. It really is all God's deal, not ours. So he says, I've attained my righteousness through this. He goes, you almost hear the passion in his voice. I want to know Christ. And this word know, you know, in the Greek is is personally experienced, intimately experienced. I want to personally experience and and intimately experience the, the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. In a real and personal way, I want to do this. I I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And he's not showing doubt there. He's showing humility. That's God's deal or nothing. It's God's deal or nothing. You know, Galatians 2.20, which is a great verse. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. Uh, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can I read that again? And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by doing or faith? Faith. I do by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Why do we want to drag this through the mud? Why do we want to add? Since he was willing, since God was willing to become flesh and bleed and die for our sins, what's this deal with us wanting to add to that? What are you going to add? You know, sometimes I've heard enough is just enough. And you know what? Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Now we get down to the final key thought. Now, this ought to be a real encouragement to us. Verse 12, I, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. That's encouraging. For those of us who are acutely aware of our imperfections, that's encouraging. If Paul wasn't perfect, then guess what? I probably won't make it either. In fact, you won't either. Let me just tell you. Through Christ, your are is perfect, but not in performance. But I press on. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. The English Standard Version says it good. But I press on to make it my own. I, press I make it a priority to own all that God has for me through Christ Jesus. I make it my priority. Verse 13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. To you hunters, you know exactly what I'm fixing to say. If you're a bird hunter, when you throw your gun up to your shoulder and aim at the covey of quail, you don't just shoot at the covey of quail, do you? You pick a bird. If you're a deer hunter and there's eight deer out there, you don't just close your eyes and say, hit one. You pick a buck, you pick a doe. You have a target. Paul says this one thing I do, I've got a target. I zero in. And What's he zero in? I forget the past. In this translation, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. This is so huge. Even in a small crowd like this, some of you are peppered with your past. There are regrets. There are decisions you made and you hate them. And and if if Satan isn't bringing them up, someone in the church is. Or your wife. Or your husband. Or your children. Or your friends. Or your coworkers. Yeah, you remember when, you remember when, and you did this, and you did that. Satan's real good at this. He plays this card all the time. And, and Paul, Paul is saying that we've got to learn not to look at the past to allow it to control me. You know, John Wayne, in that movie, True Grit, she, Maddie said something like, you know, this was a man who looked back. And old John Wayne, as Rooster Cogburn said, Looking back is a bad habit. And it is. It is. Now, it never hurts to look back to learn. But the past will haunt you and condemn you if you let it. The past will haunt you and condemn you if you let it. I know. I know. Our failures want to jump out from the past and to our present all the time. So what's Paul saying? You know, Paul had some real past. He, he had a past. Now, you do understand what I said. You do understand that Paul was responsible for the death of multiple, perhaps dozens, and maybe even hundreds of people directly responsible before Christ. You got that? So what's he saying, Dwayne? When he says forgetting the past, he's saying this. And boy, you need to write this one down. I refuse... I refuse to let the past control my future or my present. I refuse because of God's... Not this. Not because I went and saw a psychiatrist or a psychologist and he taught me how to deal with it. I'm glad because of grace we don't have to deal with it. See, when you got saved, God wrote you a new past. Now, I've got... Listen... That scar right there says, don't cut a watermelon by bringing the knife towards you. I've got scars. And that scar reminds me. But I'm glad my, that past, that's not bleeding still. It healed up. And because of that, the past doesn't have to control us. We need to make sure we've been forgiven by the man on the cross. But we need to forgive ourselves. And frankly, just so I can throw it out there, if you're one of those people that love to bring up people's past, get over it. I don't think God appointed you as God or judge or jury. So get over it. Get over it. You're just not as good as you think you are anyway, to be honest. There ain't no room for rock chucking in the Christian faith. So he says, I just forget this. But now and I just forget, I move forward. Do you see there? And looking forward to what lies ahead. You know, a runner who's running a race and looks back is not going to win the race. And that's the, that, he went from accounting terms to athletic terms. I press on to reach the end of the race. It's that runner who's striving to reach the finish line and break the ribbon. Paul says, I'm not going to let my past control who I am today. I'm not going to let my past control my future. Rather, because of not because of this, not because I got new habits and new standards and all that, but because of the man on the cross and my faith in the man in the cross. My past will stay in the past and I have a new future. And that future causes me to go back to the guy named Matthew last week. Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And he did. And he did. And Christ when we are saved forgives us and says now follow me and you can't follow Jesus if you're looking back you'll walk into a wall we've got to keep our eyes on the one who died for us and saved us so as we journey this year we need to nail this down this is going back to my office i don't it may be out next week but i'm not make promises i can't keep but we, as far as our performance with God and all that stuff we want to put on this thing, this needs to go back, back into my office. And that needs to be our focus. In 2016, and listen, listen, in this small crowd, there are people, not one, there are people who need to hear this today. You're beat up by your past. You're working yourself to death, trying to earn God's favor when you've already got it. And you are missing what God has for you. Going to heaven? Yeah. Yeah. Just just let the, the Savior who saved you live through you. Let Him live through you. We make this Christian walk way too hard when we choose not to trust. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you so much for coming. I, I just believe God put us here on purpose today. I pray that... We got the whole message on the radio this morning. That's a good thing. But what about you? One, have you experienced God's grace for your salvation? Do you know today that you've been born again? You've been changed by God's amazing grace. We would love to share with you about that. But obviously the message, the chunk of the message today was for those of us who are Christ followers, who know Jesus. Are we willing... To let the giant scale go And embrace the cross Are we willing to let all those things That we would take pride in And count them as garbage Because that's what they are I'm thinking back To the Old Testament Where all our righteousness Is as filthy rags You don't hang on to dirty old bandages Do you? You get rid of them In fact in the hospital now They put them in a special container Marked hazardous materials because that's what it is I've got some friends down here who will be here to pray for you today if you'd like to come to the altar if you also want someone to pray with you about what we've preached about and talked about today if there's a decision you need to make we're going to be baptizing tonight if you're a believer never been baptized um, we would love to talk to you about that we can get her done tonight if you'd like to do that if there's anything that you need to do with what you've heard today I want to invite you to come my friend Brent will be down front I hope you'll come God, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity to share your word today. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for Paul, uh, Father, showing us to let go of the things that don't matter, to embrace the things that do. Holy Spirit, have your way today in our hearts and lives. And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.